In today's Gospel from Mark, we have the account of Jesus' baptism by John. It's followed by his almost immediate immersion into the desert or the wilderness. To begin the 40 days we now call Lent. During this time, Christ will be tested, deprived, twisted and scorned, if you will, by Satan. It is truly not the happiest of liturgical seasons. And yet it's a necessary stage of the road to Easter, which is the reasons, it's the reason most Christians are, shall we say, Christians. It's a time from which Christ's own reflection and commitment are at the center. So let's unpack it. My question thus begins, what does the season of Lent mean to me or to you 2,000 some odd years later? Is it to give up that enchanting candy bar or that evening toddy, as my grandmother would always say? Or maybe you're more of the taking on type, wherein you adopt the Lenten practice of healthy eating or mindfulness. For Lent, more than just an excuse to take on some healthier habits. The gospel certainly points to that. Christ was tempted with all forms of opportunity. You remember he was set on top of the pinnacle of the temple and said, all this can be yours without exception and without, obviously, crucifixion. And yet, as the anointed, he clearly knew the ramifications that the outcomes held. And for me, Lent is also a time of preparation and reflection. To look at who I am, what I am, or was, and consider how I want to be different, to live more Christ-like. <coughs> Many of you know, recently I was blessed to be able to travel to Haiti and experience what firsthand our diocese is doing there. It's remarkable work, but the trip was brief. It was only a week, but it left me Tremendously profound. And yet I really didn't realize how profoundly it had affected me until last weekend when I was in Berkeley attending the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir's performance. During that performance, a woman soloist stepped to the front of the stage and sang the most mournful adaptation of an early 19th century African-American spiritual. And I'm sorry, I don't recall the name of it because shortly thereafter I had to leave. My mind a buzz and just thousands of thoughts. The words of a lamentation were just too overwhelming. You see, she told a story of a mother's sorrow, a slave mother's sorrow, wherein her children were taken and sold. She concluded that aria with, I wish I'd never been born. Now, most of you know that my roots are deep in the southern aristocracy of Mississippi, and for many years, I've taken great romantic pride in disclosing my seven generations of life there, and especially how my ancestors were invited, mind you, by then-President Adams to come and survey the territory, which extended from the Mississippi River all the way to Georgia and as far north as Tennessee, midway into Florida. In return, he was given 6,000 wonderful alluvial acres, strong, rich soil in Natchez, Mississippi, a little town called Churchill. Of course, with acreage comes the need for labor. 
and the labor of the day were slaves. Human beings, men, women, and unfortunately children. Of course, I understand the rhetoric, John, you weren't around then. You can't take on the sins of the Father. And as I appreciate all of the retorts and the well-rehearsed, not my problem, and believe me, I, I use those well-rehearsed lines myself. It doesn't change the fact that my lifeblood bought and sold human lives for my gain and place here before you today. And yes, many of them were children, taken in the prime of their childhood, whisked away to God knows where, stripped from their mothers as a cow would be, a cow, calf would be taken from its mother. For the mothers and families in here, can you imagine the thought of raising a child, nurturing it through sickness and medieval world of smallpox, of yellow fever, cholera? These are diseases that would take entire communities. Graveyards are full of towns are gone as a result of them. To literally have your child, healthy child, stripped away from you and sold at the corner post in Natchez, Mississippi, never to be seen or possibly ever heard of again. So yes, the woman's performance echoing the lamentation and horror of my noble South was guttural to me. But why? Why now? I'm 58 years old. I come from a part of the state of Mississippi where, well, the reality of slavery was not as deep. So what made her performance such a trigger? What was Christ calling me to think about? As I pondered every aspect of this moment for what that still quiet voice of God would call to tell me, one thought kept surfacing. I kept coming back to my trip to Haiti. And so I sat in it. I brought back every moment of my immersion into that wilderness, yet nothing profound came to light. Of course, there was the poverty the substandard housing, the, you know, the living conditions abominable, the fact that the average Haitian survives on less than $2 a day and makes far less than that with what they do do. Or oh, the Haitian government in its negligence to provide even the basic rudimentary sanitation skill opportunities with garbage collection or sewer systems. School-aged children forced to walk to school in this mire, cross streets that have no traffic barriers, or respect for pedestrians. And of course, there are the hogs and the goats routinely, territorially guard each pile of smoldering trash because that's the only way that you can get rid of it there, is to burn it, to keep the stench and the flies and the possible disease from you. Or could it be that until the late 21st century, the tiny island nation had been colonized by one nationality or another when it wasn't under its own oppressive independence. Then it dawned on me. This wonderful, abhorrent mixture of culture and chaos was wrecking havoc on my self-conscious simply because it was a fact that it was a window into the context of who I am and where I came from. The beauty of seeing a child in a fresh pressed uniform being escorted by a parent or other sibling Escorted tenderly overlooked empathy that I had not gained, though, in my privilege. The guilt of my own privilege of taking for granted everyday opportunities like a toilet that flushes, garbage crews that work, 
It's regular sunshine even on Christmas. Finally, and probably most impactful was the fact that when I looked at these children of century-old slaves who were incredibly happy, they no longer lived in fear, nor did their mothers of having them taken from them. The gospel goes on to tell us about how the deceitful one, Satan, will attempt to tempt Christ, and it made me think about my own life. What if knowing about all I do now, that if I were somehow transported back to my ancestral beginnings there are late 1700s in Mississippi, having, of course, that full knowledge of all this, and what the future held, the atrocities that my privilege would wreak, would I have acted differently? Would I have been more virtuous? Jesus, of course, knew the future. Betrayal, torture, crucifixion, and he chose the cross over the comfort of Lucifer's temptation. I don't know if I would have done that. The good old boy system is alive and well in Mississippi, and to live in that world, you, uh, you can only appreciate it from that standpoint. So today I must recognize the humanness of my mortal soul, know that the deceitful one still stirs the air that I breathe. And spend some time in the wilderness of that soul. Accepting the atrocities of my heritage that privilege wrought. Take a position of responsibility instead of pride. And however that looks today, try to be more Christ-like. Because if I want to imitate Christ, that's what it'll take. And maybe the next time, just maybe... When I'm in the streets of that tiny island nation that lies beset third world conditions, mocked as the sewer of the Western Hemisphere, that I can really be present to the suffering of others, past and present. Folks, Haiti was my wilderness. And as much as I want to run away from it, I know all too well that the struggle to understand centuries of ignored responsibility of humanity is real, and that it, like our not-so-savory world, I have to sit in it, there in the desert, in the wilderness of my soul. And if we do, I know, just as Jesus did, that on the other side of the wilderness there lies the hope of the resurrection. Now, good people of St. John's, in this time of Lenten reflection and discernment, I challenge you to think about your own temptations, to stay in the desert or the wilderness of your life for a while and discover what it really means to live into Christ. Look inwardly as I have done. Do the hard work as Christ did for us. And together, we will, in 40 days, just like Jesus, share in the hope of God's eternal kingdom through our Lord and Savior's resurrection. Amen.